Recently, Time Magazine released an article called Should We End Obesity? The weight loss drug explosion has forced a reconsideration of what, quote, healthy means. I read through a bit of this article and was, frankly, shocked, disappointed, and saddened by what's happening in major media and in medicine in general when it comes to the way that we look at health, wellness, however you want to define it. Weight loss and the diet culture has promoted an idea, a lie, something that far too many Americans have fallen into. In fact, over 70% of Americans sit into a space of being either overweight or obese. If you are in a healthy weight range, if you are even lean and fit, you sit in the top percentage. You are in the minority in America, and you are probably becoming the minority in the world. Today, I want to discuss this idea that we need to take an allopathic approach to weight loss. Why we are told that this new drug can be the savior when it comes to our weight loss problems and many more things. That's today on this episode of The Evolved Man. Welcome to The Evolved Man where we are at war with the mediocrity of modern man. The evolved man is for men like you who are willing to be strong, open, and aggressive learners. Men who are not afraid to disrupt and change. It's time we ditch the current conventional idea that we devolve with age, that the dad bod is our destiny, and that the glory days are behind us. Your best isn't behind you. And I'm here to provide you with practical tools, a few tips and tricks, and everyday wisdom to help you evolve into your highest form. Strong, lean, smart, educated, and emotionally intelligent. Now, let's go to war. Welcome back to The Evolved Man, where we are at war with the mediocrity of modern men. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to this particular episode of The Evolved Man. This represents 150 episodes. Now, we've released over 200, if you take into account several of our shorts that we've done in the past. But I want to thank you, our listeners, for uh, tuning in and helping us to get the message out there. So do me a favor, if you could. If you are enjoying The Evolved Man, uh, share it with a friend, will you? Give us a rating on pod, uh, on whatever podcast after you're listening to us on. Apple and Spotify are the two that help us to grow the most. We want to continue to spread the good word of health, fitness, and living a great life, becoming an evolved man. Today, I want to talk about something that has been on my mind a lot recently. I want to talk about this idea that we need to take a drug in order to lose weight and to be healthy. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against allopathic medicine, and let's define what that is. You see, allopathic medicine refers to this system where we have doctors, we've got other healthcare professionals, people like nurses, pharmacists, therapists, 
who treat symptoms and diseases, right? So let me read that again. Allopathic medicine is doctors and other healthcare professionals who treat symptoms and diseases. They do that by utilizing drugs, radiation, and or surgery. So what's the problem of disease? What is the solution? Drugs, radiation, surgery. Now, let's dive in to this concept of overweight and being in a situation where your health is compromised because you have too much body fat. If we go back to the definition of allopathic medicine and we say, okay, is this a symptom of something? Yes, it is. Is it a disease? No. Being overweight or being obese is not a disease. Is it a symptom of something? Yes. We'll come back to that in just a minute. How does allopathic medicine treat this? Well, they do it like everything else, where they treat it with drugs, radiation, or surgery. Now, there is no radiation that will allow you to lose body fat. There is bariatric surgery, which is a surgery that allows you to lose fat. Uh, there are surgical procedures that can help you to lose fat uh, via liposuction and, and those sorts of things. But the problem that we run into when we take an allopathic approach to weight loss is we are missing the main thing that's causing the issue. And that's the symptoms that come back to the overall main thing. And that's the lifestyle. It's how we live in our day and age. Technology is amazing. It's technology that allows me to talk to you right now in your ear while you're in your car, while you're driving down the road, or you're out on a walk, or whatever it is that you're doing. It's technology that has brought you and me together. So whether you live right down the road from me in Utah, or you are living in Italy, or you are in Australia, or wherever else our several listeners are coming from, it's technology that connects us. Now, the downside of technology is that we as human beings have not been able to keep up with the rise of technology and keep it in a healthy way. Let me explain what I mean. Many of you, as you're listening to this, you're listening to it with some sort of hump on your back, poor posture. You've got a neck that shoots too far forward. You have hips that don't function very well. You have digestive issues. You have low back pain. You have knee pain because life has become so sedentary and so easy for you that it's now become hard. You sit at a desk, you hunch forward, you lean into your computer, you have eye strain, you have neck pain, you have low back pain, you have all of these issues because technology has made life easy. Now, I'm not saying technology is bad because of that. However, we have not taken the time to adapt to it. We have just gone forward with what technology has given us and said, oh, this is great. I don't need to adapt to this. I'm just going to continue to go along with my life and utilize all the technology that's out there without conscious thought, and my life will be great. The problem is, is when we take that mentality, we don't take the necessary steps to adjust our health so that technology now becomes the thing that makes us healthier or helps us to become healthier rather than becoming the thing that makes us less healthy. 
One way that technology is hurting us is we have the ability at any point in time to get on a phone and to tap a couple of buttons and we can have thousands of calories worth of food delivered to our house within 20, 30 minutes. We can hop in a car, we can drive to a fast food restaurant and we can swipe a card and through all the amazing feats of technology, we can get thousands of calories delivered to our lap while we're driving in the car. We don't have to do anything. You're not going out on the field hunting and tracking for your meat. You are not raising your food. You are literally sitting in your house or sitting in your car and technology has made it easier for you to get thousands of calories within a few seconds. Now, what's happened in our overall system is that some of those calories not only come to you in an easy way, but they are cheaper because the government subsidizes certain foods in order to make it cheaper. So there's a reason why your highly processed foods, your calorie-laden foods, the foods that have multiple ingredients in them, and we would consider them to be more food products rather than food, why they are cheaper than whole real foods. It's because the government subsidizes certain crops that then get subsidized and put into your food. If you want to look this up, go look at what the major ingredients in food right now are. Now, it's different than what it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, we used to see corn in everything. High fructose corn syrup, corn this, corn that, corn starch. Corn was everywhere. Now, it's soy. The government is subsidizing soy at such a high level that you will find soy and soy lectins in just about every single food product that's out there. Go check a food label. When the government subsidizes this food, it makes it cheap and easy for you to then get thousands of extra calories in a very short period of time. So is technology, is subsidization, are these the enemies? Are these the things that are the problem? Well, not necessarily. You see, I believe technology can be used to help you to live a healthy life. If we look at the symptom, what is the symptom? Well, the symptom is that as Americans, we are overweight. We are fat. We have too much body fat, and it is killing us. Look at the top killers in America, and the majority of them are linked to having too much body fat. High cholesterol, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, these are all directly linked to having an excess of body fat. Hypokinetic diseases, they are often called. Hypo, meaning less. Kinetic, meaning movement. We don't move enough. Okay, so what does that mean, Steve? We've identified what the symptom is. The symptom is that we are overweight. The symptom is we have excessive body fat, and so we need to lose weight. And so taking this purely allopathic approach of looking at a symptom and treating it with a drug, well, that's a good way to go, right? Well, no, because the symptom is that we are eating extra calories and we are moving less. Okay, so what does that mean? Let's just cut calories and let's move more. Well, that's what the drug does. It cuts the calories. So we should do that, right? No. The symptom is that we are eating too many calories and we are moving less. 
but that's not what the overall problem is. So what is the problem? Why, as Americans, do we continue to become bigger and bigger and bigger? Why do we lose weight and then gain more back? And then that cycle continues. Is it because of age? Well, no, that's not the problem. Because if you look back through history, you will find that people who had active lifestyles, people who prioritized food and prioritized movement throughout their lives, they did not gain extra body fat. You see, age has very little to do with your level of fatness. The reason why most people gain extra body fat through life is their lifestyle changes. And they have probably gone through some sort of dietary restriction cycle that has caused them to lose muscle mass. Did you know that as you age, you will, you will lose muscle mass. You will have what's called sarcopenia, which basically means that you are losing muscle mass with age. But there's a caveat to this, and the caveat is that science only holds true for people who are eating inadequate amounts of protein and for people who do not strength train. If you strength train on a regular basis and you eat adequate amounts of calories and protein, there is no significant loss of muscle. Let me say that again. Your age has very little to do with your level of muscle and your level of body fat. So if that's the case, how do we address the symptom? The symptom is over fatness. This symptom is excessive body fat, excessive weight that is causing a significant issue in America. Health issues, left and right. You have pain because the excessive body fat is pulling your body in areas that it should not be pulled in. Now, I joke with guys that they have what's called a dicky do, where your belly sticks out further than your dicky do. And it's a joke, but it's something we've got to address. And so let's jump in and talk about this idea. If you are a man and you look in the mirror and your belly sticks out further than your dicky do, then you've got a couple of issues going on. Number one, you are most likely metabolically unhealthy. Metabolically unhealthy people are people that are not able to process blood sugar, not able to process glucose in a regular, normal fashion. Their blood pressure is higher. Their triglycerides are higher. Their cholesterol is out of balance. They cannot have, and they do not have what's called metabolic flexibility, meaning that if you eat a little bit more on a couple of days, your body revs up the temperature and brings you back down to a level where you are burning through those calories, you don't have metabolic flexibility and you are not metabolically healthy. Now, it's estimated about 96% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. Think about that. 96% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. That was not the case two, three, four decades ago. So what's happened? Why have we gotten here? Back in the 1970s, late 1970s, early 1980s, 
we started to get more convenient food. We got packaged and processed foods that allowed us to get more calories in less time. We started to layer in extra calories by putting sugar and added fats to certain things. And when we add sugar and fats to things that don't have protein in them, we are less satisfied when we eat them, which causes this initiation where we say we want to eat more. So is sugar bad? Is our fats bad? No, absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But when we add sugars and fats together without protein, we don't have satisfaction. And when we don't have satisfaction, we tend to eat more of those things and we go into a caloric surplus. So back in the 70s and 80s, we went through this process of adding more sugars and more fats into highly processed foods. Those foods became more readily available and we ate more and more of them. Whether it was sodas or fast food restaurants or being able to just go sit down uh, at your phone and dial up Domino's and have them deliver your pizza in 30 minutes or less. Or now we jump on our phones, tap a couple of buttons, and we DoorDash something even quicker. Convenience of high-calorie foods has become a major issue. Most people have no idea what they're putting into their mouths. They have no idea the level of caloric intake. They have no idea the balance of the macronutrients. They have no idea the balance of the micronutrients. And because food products are not built, situated, and created to be health-promoting, appropriate calorie, appropriate macronutrient breakdown for your health, fitness, and muscle-building goals, you then tend to overeat. So what is the symptom? The symptom is we are over fat. The symptom is we have metabolically crashed. We are metabolically unhealthy. Now in the diet culture, the way that we have reacted to this is we have told people to eat less, i.e. caloric restriction, and to move more, i.e. exercise. And most of the time, we've told people to do cardiovascular exercise. So what has that done? If a person just goes on a caloric-restricted diet and they start to burn a few more calories from doing cardiovascular exercise, there's a couple of things that are going to happen. Number one, you will lose weight. If you are in a caloric restriction, it doesn't matter where it comes from. You will lose weight. So if I'm doing keto, vegan, carnivore, Clean eating, the mechanism by which I lose weight is not the dogmatic approach, but the mechanism is through a caloric restriction. If I remove an entire macronutrient, i.e. carbohydrates, from my diet, if I remove a number of meals, i.e. intermittent fasting, all I'm doing is I'm reducing my overall caloric intake. And so by reducing my overall caloric intake, I will lose weight. But here's the rub. When you start doing that and you add in cardiovascular exercise, you're doing nothing to protect the most metabolically active tissue in your body, which is muscle. You will lose fat and you will lose muscle. And so run some math in your head with me. And if you've got a pen and paper, pull this out. Write it down so that you can see it in front of you, because this is something important. That if you understand this basic concept, 
you will never diet and do cardio again. What is the symptom? We are over fat. What is the diet culture solution? Eat less, move more. Let's say that you go on a diet and you start to lose weight. You will be losing fat and you will be losing muscle. Now, let's say you lose 10 pounds and you feel great. Your pants fit better, you move better. Overall, your health feels better because you're lighter, you're leaner, and you move in a better way. But that restrictive diet does what the first three letters of that word do, and they die over time. We lose willpower, and creating a deep caloric restriction eventually stops, and we go back to eating the way we did before. Well, what we were doing before was a caloric surplus. We don't go to maintenance. We go back to the caloric surplus that we were at. And because we are now 10 pounds lighter, our metabolic need is less. You see, if I am 220 pounds and I drop down to 200 pounds, the amount of calories that it takes for me to function and maintain is now less because I only weigh 200 pounds. Most people go back to eating the way they were before. When they go back to eating the way they were before, they are now not just in a surplus from what they were at 220, but they are in a, in a maximum surplus of being where they are at now, 200. So let's say you've lost that 10 pounds. Let's say you've lost those 20 pounds and you go back to eating what you did before. 10 pounds is gone. Let's say you got lucky. From doing the cardio and from doing the, uh, the caloric restriction, you've only lost about four pounds of muscle and you lost six pounds of body fat. Those four pounds of muscle are what matter most. You have lost four pounds of lean tissue that number one is extremely hard to build and number two is more metabolically active than the other tissues in your body. When you eat in the caloric surplus, which you will go back to after the diet dies, you will now gain the 10 pounds back. But you don't gain 10 pounds back of six and four. You gain 10 pounds of fat. And so you lost six pounds of fat. You gained 10 pounds of fat, and now you are squishier. You are fatter, and you are less metabolically active than you were before because now you're 10 pounds of fat heavier and you are four pounds of lean mus muscle mass, lean tissue, leaner or uh, less. And so your metabolism drops. Now this diet cycle that people go on compound this over the years. What happens? I lose 10, I gain 10. I lose 10, I gain 15. I lose 10, I gain seven. Even if you're losing 10 and it's a five and five, I've lost five fat, five muscle, and I gain seven back. I've now lost five pounds of fat, but I've gained seven pounds of muscle. I'm two pounds heavier with fat. And so by doing that, I now have more fat and less muscle, which over time gets me to the point where I have a lower metabolism. So what is the symptom? We are over fat in America. The other symptom is that we are not strong. We don't have enough muscle. You see, we look at our, uh, Americans as they get older. And the issue isn't just that we are 
excessively fat. We don't have the muscle that we need in order to preserve health and longevity for the long run. Let's go back to the dicky doos. If you're a guy that has a big belly, you not only have this belly that's creating this downward force into your pelvis that's rocking your pelvis forward in an anterior pelvic tilt, but you probably don't have any glutes to support yourself on the backside. And so all of that pressure from that excessive belly is going and yanking on your lumbar spine, the lower back area, and creating all this pressure because you don't have glutes and you don't have a strong upper back because you're sitting at a desk all day. You now have massive issues with pain. When you eat poorly, to compound that, you are now living in the space where you have wrecked your digestion and the digestive muscles, all of those internal smooth muscle tissue and skeletal muscle tissue are not functioning properly and you now have more pain and you wonder why your hips ache. You wonder why your low back aches. What is the symptom? We are over fat. What is the other symptom that comes with that? Well, we now have issues with digestion. We now have irritable bowel syndrome. We have leaky gut syndrome. We have pain in our backs. We have pain in our hips. We have pain that radiates up to the shoulder. We've got neck pain. We can't sleep well. All of these other things become symptom on top of symptom on top of symptom. So how are we trying to solve that symptom in America? Well, we're not addressing the symptoms for what they are and what caused the symptom. We are saying, let's take a pill. Let's take a drug approach. And I'm here to tell you that you are not over fat because of a decrease in drugs in your system. You actually have more drugs in your system today than our ancestors did even 30 or 40 years ago. Go back to our ancestors 100 years ago. You have more drugs in your system because of the way we process food products and we put so many preservatives in there. You have more drugs in your system now than your ancestors did 100 years ago. You do not have a drug deficiency. And so this allopathic approach of looking at a symptom and trying to fix it with a drug is not going to get us there. Now, how does this new drug work? Essentially, what it does is it creates a sensation and a feeling in the stomach that you're full. And overall, it lowers the rate of gastric emptying. Okay, that's the basic premise of it. What does that mean? Lowers the rate of gastric emptying. Well, it basically means that if you eat something, it takes longer for your body to process it and move it out of the gut, digest it, however you want to think about it, right? And so you eat less over time. And so typically when you go on this drug, you will eat significantly less, which puts you in a massive caloric deficit. So how do you lose weight? Do you lose weight because of the drug? No, you lose weight because you're now in a massive caloric deficit. Anytime you go into a massive caloric deficit, you are restricting not only macronutrients, proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, but you are restricting micronutrients that are beneficial for many, many different chemical reactions inside of your body. You are restricting macro and micronutrients that are necessary for hormonal support. You are restricting macro and micronutrients that are necessary for muscle preservation. You are restricting macro and micronutrients that are necessary for all other functioning in your body. Let's go back to the dicky do. The guy that has the dicky do that goes on the drug will lose body fat. 
Now, I don't know who came up with this. I don't know if it's just a joke in our evolution or if this is something that God created, but the reality is when we lose body fat, we typically lose it from top down, bottom up. The last place we lose is right through the midsection. And so the man with the dicky-doo who's got the big belly, no glutes, lots of low back pain, diarrhea, irritable bowel syndrome, is on the little blue pill regularly whenever he feels like that, you know, he's in the mood. What's happening now is he goes on this pill and it creates a massive caloric restriction. Hormones start to crash. Digestion is horrible. Metabolically, he becomes even less healthy than what he was when he first started because as he loses weight, he's losing fat and muscle. You remember the glutes that weren't there before? Well, they're there even less now. You remember that belly that stuck out too far? It goes down a little bit, but not a lot. You remember the rest of the muscles that are there to support the joints and keep the neck and the back and the shoulders healthy, keep the knees moving and the hips functioning properly? Well, they start to go away. And so this man who goes on this pill, this allopathic medicine approach of taking a drug to get rid of the symptom of being over fat is now making himself worse in the long run. I don't know about you, but to me, there's something ethically and morally wrong with this because in the long run, it does more damage. Number one, because we're not educating people on what happens in the totality of the human body. We're not telling people, hey, you're going to be fatter five years from now because of doing this pill. We're just going to sell this pill, this injection, whatever, however we're administering this to you. And you are going to be lighter and smaller. You're going to lose weight. I don't think that's ethical. I don't think it's moral. Now, I'm not saying I'm the most ethical, moral person in the world. But I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't tell people to do this. I think that there is an obligation to educate. I think that there is an obligation to look at it from what is causing the symptom. You see, any symptom that you have is there because something else has happened to cause this. Now, no one has digestive issues without a catalyst that created that digestive issue. No one is over fat without a catalyst that created the over fatness. You see, the reason people get fatter and weaker as they age has nothing to do with the age. It has to do with the fact that as we get older, we take jobs where we go sit. We are less active than we were before. We don't work with our bodies the same way. We then have kids and we have other responsibilities. And if we get movement in, it's to go from the chair to the vending machine. If we get movement in, it might be on the weekends. If we get movement in, maybe it's 20 minutes here or there. That's the reason that we are starting to put on body fat and we are losing muscle is because high calorie, easily palatable foods and or food products are right there in front of us. Our technology is wonderful and it's made it super easy for us to get high calories in the blink of an eye. Then we don't move. 
And so we become less metabolically active. Allopathic medicine approach, let's go towards the drug. All right. Now, if you're still with me, I don't want to rail on this too much because I think railing on what the problem is is only necessary to a certain point. I hope you're with me on this concept, and I hope it's making sense. If it's not, send me a message. Let's set some time up, and let's get together, and let me explain it in a different way. But what is the symptom? Americans are over fat. What are the other symptoms that come with that? Well, we talked about it, metabolic disease or metabolic issues. Uh, most people are not metabolically uh, healthy in America. In addition to that, there is a cascade of issues. You might be dealing with everything from erectile dysfunction. You might be dealing with irritable bowel syndrome. You might be dealing with leaky gut syndrome. You may have joint pain, brain fog. You may have uh, agitation and anger. You may have anxiety. You may have depression. These are all things that come from a poor diet and lifestyle plan. So what do we do instead? What we do instead is we start to take a look at things not from an allopathic approach of you have a symptom and let me prescribe a drug. We look at it and we start to use a little bit of intelligence. And we say, okay, you have a symptom. That symptom is that you are over fat and you are also weak. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough muscle in your body. And so we need to reframe. So the basis of reframing starts like this. Instead of thinking that you need to lose weight, it's better to say, I need to lose body fat and I need to grow muscle. Yeah, but Steve, I don't want to get really big and bulky. No one will get big and bulky. If you are listening to this podcast and you have ever thought to yourself that you're going to get big and bulky, let me just squash that right now. If you are 30, 40, 50 years and older and you are not taking steroids, I guarantee you that you are not going to get big and bulky. Now, if you're taking steroids, that's a different conversation. I wouldn't recommend it. We can get you big and bulky with that. Outside of that, trust me, you're not going to get big and bulky. You'll be lucky to put on a few pounds of muscle. In fact, recently, a client of mine who was a pretty consistent training, working out type of guy, went on my 16-week program, and within the 16 weeks, he had amazing results. He put on seven pounds of lean muscle while losing some body fat along the way. Seven pounds of lean muscle. Now, what does that look like? Well, many of you, if you've been online and you looked up, okay, what does a pound of fat look like? Or what does five pounds of fat look like? There's a lot of volume to fat, right? Now, muscle is very lean. It's very dense. A pound of muscle might be the size of anywhere between a baseball to a softball, right? It's very dense. So to put on five pounds throughout his entire body, you would look at him and say, man, you look pretty good, but you definitely wouldn't look at him and say, you're bulky. Seven pounds of muscle is a lot to put on. If we put on a pound or two, we're increasing your body's ability to be metabolically flexible and you will be more metabolically healthy. But I guarantee you, you not, will not be walking around looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So the reframe is instead of trying to lose weight, the goal is to lose body fat while gaining muscle. 
as much muscle as you can. Once we've reframed and we start to look at body composition, what is composing the weight that you're carrying? There's bone. We can't do much with that. While strength training does improve bone density, you won't see a significant increase in your weight because of strength training relative to the bone density that you're building. You're just going to have stronger bones. Your ligaments, your tendons, they get stronger with strength training, but you're not building a significant amount of weight in your ligaments and tendons. There's no other soft tissue that we're building when it comes to the weight that is going to have an impact as much as your fat and your muscle. So the goal is to lose fat and to gain muscle. Why do we want to lose fat? Well, because we are going to be more metabolically healthy if we are leaner. We have less risk of ongoing critical diseases if we have less fat. You will be able to develop a body that is symmetrical, that biomechanically functions better. What do I mean by that? It basically means you're not going to be in as much pain. If you're carrying around a big belly, we get rid of that belly. I guarantee you, your low back pain, your hip pain, your shoulder pain are going to be much easier to handle because your bones were not designed to carry that excessive fat, especially sitting into your uh, stomach area for a very long period of time. If you're a woman and you put the majority of your fat on through the hips and the legs and we reduce that, guess what that does? It allows you to move and function much better. So a symmetrical body, when we look at it from just a, uh, a skeletal or bone structure, when we lose body fat, we are able to move and function better. You move more like we call a supple leopard. Watch a lion, watch a leopard, see how they move. Go watch a monkey swing from the trees. You don't see these things moving in these chunky ways that we move as humans. And I'm not saying chunky in terms of fatness. We just move in chunky, clunky ways. You see it. Maybe you're the type of person that does it. You chunk here, you chunk there. You throw your leg this way. You grab something and it's, oh, it, the, the low back hold. It's a chunky way of moving. We want supple leopard type of movement. We want beautiful lion type of movement. We want swinging monkey type of movement in our body. And so as we lose body fat, we now put the skeletal system in better alignment so that we can function in a more functional way. Now, as we lose that body fat and we focus on increasing muscle mass, not only do we look better, but we're improving so many other markers of health. You remember how I talked about metabolically unhealthy people? About 97% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. Well, your body stores sugar in the form of glycogen. It's a broken down form of sugar. It's the name that we call sugar that's stored in the body, and it's stored in two areas. Number one, it's stored in your liver, which is not an area that we store a lot of it. And number two is muscle. Muscle tissue and muscle is the organ that is able to carry and hold more glycogen, more sugar in the body when we need it than the liver. Trained muscle, muscle that is consistently worked and trained on a regular basis, holds more glycogen. That glycogen allows us to function better in life. We improve liver glycogen by doing cardiovascular exercise primarily. We improve muscle glycogen primarily by doing 
strength training type exercise. We become more metabolically active. And so when we eat sugars, when we eat carbohydrates, we now have a place for them to be stored in the muscle. That doesn't mean that sugar is necessary for your diet. So if you find that, like many people, you do better on a low-carbohydrate diet, that's fine. Your body will produce and store sugar still. It can make its own. That's why carbohydrates are never considered necessary. Right? There are essential amino acids, proteins. There are essential fatty acids, fats, that we need from external resources. There is no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Now, carbohydrates are essential within the body, but they are not essential for us to intake. That doesn't mean they're bad. Carbohydrates can be wonderful. They taste great. Utilized appropriately, they can give you massive amounts of energy. When you know how to time your carbohydrates, you can improve your performance at work. You can improve your performance in the gym. You can improve your performance in just about anything. And you can have massive energy and brain functioning with the right carbohydrate intake at the right times. But it takes functioning muscle in order for those carbohydrates to be stored and utilized appropriately. So we're reframing. What is the symptom? We are over fat. What is the reframe? We need to stop thinking about weight loss and diet culture. And we need to start thinking about how do I create a better body composition? How do I grow more muscle? And how do I lose body fat? Those are the keys. Now, when I start with clients, there's three internal identification markers that I use that help to get us going along the path. The first one is energy level. If we were working together and we're starting to talk about your nutrition, I would say, I want you to track not only what you're eating so that you are building awareness of the foods that are going in your body, and we have a better idea of your calories and the macronutrients that are going to help us to elicit, elicit the body composition changes that you need, but I need you to, to track how your energy feels. Because as we go through and we start to play with calories and macros and uh, micro and meal timing and all these other things that we do when we're dialing in your nutrition so it works well for you, we need to understand how is your energy. Now, most people live in a low malaise most of the time. You don't have a lot of energy, whether it's in the morning, the afternoon, or just pretty much all day long. Most people have resigned themselves to this idea that they don't have energy and they never will. Or this is normal. It's not normal. So one of the things I have people do is track energy level while they're eating and throughout the day. The second identification marker that we're looking at is your overall gut health. When you eat certain foods, do you notice issues related to the gut? Now, that could mean that you're getting bloated and you're gassy, you're belching more often. Uh, it could mean that stool is changing. You typically have soft stools or your stools become harder. Uh, it, it's harder to pass. You don't have regular bowel movements. Um, inflammation in the joints often can be an indication of poor gut health. The third internal identification marker that we look at is hormonal health. Now, what we're looking at here is to say, are you functioning properly hormonally. If you want to be vital, active, great body composition, look and feel exactly the way you want to look and feel, we have to address natural ways to uh, affect the hormones. 
And so I have my clients track the things that are relative to hormonal health. And there are about three different things that we go through and we look at and we track relative to hormonal health and how it relates to your lifestyle and your nutrition. But it's important to look at these three ident internal identification markers, energy level, gut health, and hormone health. Otherwise, we don't have a good assessment and we don't have a good baseline to start from. What's the symptom? We are over fat. What is the solution? Well, first and foremost, we create a baseline assessment and we look at all of these things. Now, we start to talk through solution. I take people through three different phases when it comes to nutrition. The first phase is initiate. The second phase is elevate. The third phase is automate. Let me give you the answers to the test right there. Let me break down each one of them uh, kind of secondarily, and then we'll go a little bit deeper into a couple of them for time's sake. Initiate just basically means, can we get you moving? in the right direction. Let's initiate an action. If you haven't read James Clear's book, uh, James Clear's book, uh, Atomic Habits, I would highly recommend it. Clear talks about in there that if you're going to create any habit long term, it should start at a very atomic level, very small level. And so an example he gives is, if you want to create a habit of becoming healthier, and you want to be a gym going person that works out, lifts weights, yada, yada, you start by just saying committing to going to the gym. You don't have to do anything. You just show up. You can even turn around and you can check in and you can turn around and leave. And then the next week, once you've got the habit of, of doing that, you may say, I'm going to go spend five minutes in here doing something. And so what happens is over time, these atomic level habits begin to be something that you can stack on top of each other. You can coincide them with other habits. You can layer them in so that you become better at each one of these things. But the inertia is the biggest thing that we have to overcome initially. And then once we've overcome inertia, then we can start to layer in more difficult and more complex habits over time. And so initiate is all about how do we get you moving in the right direction and taking a few small steps that will be focused directly on what your needs are. Now, Elevate is different. Elevate is where we start to layer in some complexity. We've already initiated. You already got some uh, habits that are working well for you. You've got rhythm. You have routine, and you're starting to feel better. Elevate is where we dig deeper into your body and into the way that you want to eat so that you can elevate your body, so that you can elevate your energy, so that you can elevate the hormonal balance and so that you can elevate the muscle growth. And then finally, we come down to automate. Automate is the phase where we want your habits, your routines, and the use of technology to support you in your body fat loss, your muscle growth, and your overall health and vitality. So what does this look like? Um, I told you I'm going to give you some of the answers to the test. So initiate, elevate, automate. That's the three phases. Secondarily, I've told you a little bit about what they are. Let's talk about what we do. In the initiate phase, the first thing we have to identify is your caloric needs based on your goals and your current intake. Now, I don't take a dogmatic view when it comes to nutrition. You will not hear me preach and preach and preach some sort of dogma. Does keto work? Does carnivore work? 
does clean eating work? You will never hear me stand at the pulpit and tell you over and over and over again that there is one God of nutrition and there is only one true religion of nutrition. Religion and nutrition are both about the same. Everybody's arguing that they've got the best way. And the reality is with nutrition, there's some science and all of these tactics and techniques that you're trying to get or that people are trying to sell you. If they work, it works because it fits into the science. So if I remove an entire macronutrient, i.e. keto, or um, let's say I go into vegan and I primarily remove significant amounts of protein uh, from my diet, I'll lose weight because I'm in a caloric deficit. There is nothing magical about keto, carnivore, clean eating, uh, vegan vegetarianism, any of those things when it comes to the science. The science is that if you are in a caloric deficit, you will lose weight. So we need to identify what your caloric needs are based on where you're currently at. Now, I have several clients that I've worked with over the years that have been in this situation. They reach out to me, hey, Steve, nothing's working. I've been doing this. I'm doing what this guy says. I read this person's blog. I watched this video. I'm doing all of these things, but nothing is working. Can you help me? We go through. We, do an, uh, we identify what they're currently eating, and the good and the bad news comes back. The good and the bad news is that they can and should be eating more food than what they're currently eating because they have dieted themselves into a metabolic crash. They are eating severely lower than what their body's needs are. They are sad, depressed, sluggish, poor hormones, myriad of other symptoms, and they're eating far below what we would estimate their caloric needs to be. So that's the good and the bad. Now, the challenge is if, let's say that you, your estimated maintenance level is 2,000 calories. But because of consistent yo-yo dieting, you have gotten to the point where you're eating about 1,500 calories and your body maintains weight at 1,500 calories. What's maintaining weight at 1,500 calories because you have slowed the metabolism down. Your metabolism has adapted to the lower caloric range. Your body needs more, but it has adapted to what you've given it. And so by Coming back to this idea of the good and the bad, we need to take those calories over time and slowly push it up. And so over a period of time, I take you from 1,500 up to 2,000, where 2,000 should be what your normal maintenance is. And then once we're at 2,000, we can go into a caloric deficit to get you to lose body fat. We can go into a caloric deficit to help you to get leaner. But if you're at 1,500 and I take you lower than that, and I believe that you should be closer to 2,000, the only thing I'm doing is putting you at greater risk for muscle loss and many, many other health issues. And so once we've identified what your caloric needs are based on your goal and what your current intake is, we then take a very scientific approach at identifying what you need to be doing for your body. Next, we determine what your body recomposition ratio is relative to your macronutrients. So we, again, we look at your body, your goals, and your activity level. 
my number one goal when I'm working with a client is I want them to increase muscle and get stronger. It's critically important if you're over 40 years old, because if you're over 40 and you've got excessive body fat, you have most likely lost muscle at this point. You have most likely put yourself into a hormonal imbalance and you have most likely put yourself into a position where you have digestive issues. And so once we've identified the caloric needs, we then go to the body composition, recomposition ratio that we need for your macronutrients in order to grow muscle, develop better hormonal balance, and improve your overall digestion. Now, here's why I am so adamant when I say I am not a fan of going for a dogmatic approach. And I might be lying to you a little bit with that because I do have a dogma. And that dogma is that you should enjoy life. I believe that if you enjoy gelato, you should eat gelato. I believe that if you enjoy sitting around with friends, talking, laughing, playing games, and there's a big bowl of popcorn, and you enjoy that, then you should eat the popcorn. I believe that when you travel and you go to France and you walk through the streets and you see these patisseries and you say, wow, that croissant looks amazing or the pain de chocolat. I want that. You should eat it. I don't believe that we need to move aside the enjoyments of life, the connections that we have with other people just to achieve a body composition result. And you don't have to, if you understand how to do it and how to utilize the science to get you what you want and what you need. Now, anybody that knows me knows that there are certain treats that I absolutely love. Uh, over the weekend, I made pizza. Now, I used to work at a pizza restaurant and I remembered the uh, pizza dough recipe that I have over the past, oh, I don't know, 30 years now, perfected the crust recipe for. And I love making that. It's one of my favorite things to do because my family, my friends who come over, we'll sit down and we'll have a great time eating the pizza. I don't worry about the pizza. The pizza is not something that... I, I look at and say, okay, the pizza's, I, when I eat the pizza, I'm going to get rid of my abs now. The pizza fits into my lifestyle. The pizza fits into my body composition goals. The pizza fits into my health goals. If I gave up the pizza, I would be giving up the connection with my family. I would be giving up the time with my friends. I would be giving up some of the things that are some of the most important things and the most important time in my life. And I am not giving up the pizza. Now, my pizza tastes a million times better than that crap that you get when you go onto DoorDash and have it delivered to you. Because I know how to make it, not only to taste well, but to draw people in. You see, when we make the pizza, we make it together. I make the dough. But if you're with me, you're throwing the dough. You're putting some toppings on or you're at least sitting there watching the process. And so you're feeling the love. You're a part of the process and we're connecting. So I don't worry about the pizza taking away my body composition goals. I don't worry about the pizza being something that 
takes me out of the things that are very important to me. Now, I also like to have some goals that keep me healthy, lean, and fit. And so I know how to work the pizza in. So coming back to what I said before, that's my dogma. My dogma is that I believe you can and you should enjoy foods along the way. I can tell you this. If you're used to eating a highly processed, highly packaged, plant-based diet, and when I say plant-based, people think about vegetables, right? Most of the stuff that you're eating, if you're getting it from a box or a bag, is plant-based. In fact, the majority of you if, you, if you map out what you're eating throughout an entire week and you say, okay, what's the percentage of protein that I'm getting from real great sources? Lean meats, chicken, fish, uh, steak, where, wherever, liver, whatever you're eating. And you put that in relation to the percentage of plant-based foods. You're probably eating majority plant-based diet. So when it comes to this dogma, my dogma is enjoy the food. But it should be something that is sustainable. So that's it. That's the initiation phase. We identify what your caloric needs are. We determine your body comp ratio that's going to be right for you. And the one dogmatic piece is you got to enjoy what you're doing. If you enjoy it and we can figure out how to work in the things that you enjoy, you're more likely to stick with it, which leads us to the elevation phase. Now, when we get into the elevation phase, we break it down to say, okay, can we look deeper into your micronutrient intake? Now, micronutrients, we're just talking about vitamin and minerals. We're wanting to make sure that you have, don't have any de deficiencies so that internally your body is balanced out and it's going to be better for muscle growth and overall just vitality and health. Then we go to meal timing. Meal timing is when are you eating? Why is it important to eat certain things at certain times? How do we look at meals uh, relative to not just the day, but the week? When should you be getting carbohydrates for the optimal performance? When do you need to be getting protein to have optimal muscle gain? We break down, we elevate all of these things. After micronutrient intake and meal timing, we break down supplement protocol. Supplement protocol is essentially looking from a performance standpoint, a cognitive standpoint, and a recovery standpoint. After we've initiated and we've elevated, and you've developed habits over time, you now have control to where we can move into the automate phase, which we won't get into too much today because it's not relevant for the overall conversation. This approach educates you so that you become a person who is a more educated consumer, not only of content, but an educated consumer of what goes into your body. What is the symptom? As Americans, we are over fat. What is the secondary symptom? Well, it could be type 2 diabetes. It could be hypertension. It could be high cholesterol. It could be that you have low back pain. It could be a myriad of issues that are secondary symptoms. Instead of taking an allopathic approach and we say, let's give you a pill to put you on a caloric restriction to get you to lose weight that will then make you metabolically unhealthy, we go back to the science and we say there's a better way through 
an initiate, elevate, automate process. We can teach you how to eat properly so that you enjoy life and get the results that you want. No pill, no drug, and no bullshit. You learn how to do it on your own. One of the best comments that was made to me recently was from a former client, guy who had gone through our, our program. I checked in with him. I said, how are you doing? How's it working? And he broke it down for me. He's doing amazing. He's still losing body fat. He's still putting muscle on. He's taking the things that he learned from the strength training program that we had him on. He's taking the things from the protocols relative to his proteins, fats, carbs, his caloric intake, his micronutrients, all of those things. And he's layering in more. And he's testing and he's experimenting. He's now leaner. He's even stronger than we, he left our program after the 16 weeks. I love hearing that. Because what that tells me is that this man is now well-educated that for the next 40 or 50 or 60 years, however long he lives, he has tools, resources to become an educated consumer, consumer of content and consumer of product, food, workouts, all of these things are available to him because he now has a filter of education that is not dogmatic. And that is not something that forces him to think that there is only one way to go. What is the problem? We are over fat as Americans. I can tell you the solution is not an allopathic solution. We should not be treating symptoms with the drugs. We're just going to make it worse. Now, I've heard it. I've heard it so much in the last couple of months in particular, where people talk about that these drugs, they've been on the market, we've used them for other things, and maybe this is the thing, maybe this is the savior that's going to make everything better. Well, guess what? After having spent a quarter of a century in talking about coaching and working with people in the health and fitness space, I can tell you this: the, the dogma, the marketing, all of the stuff that's being said is the same garbage that has been said over and over and over again. Somehow, news media continues to find quote-unquote experts that tout this as the potential solution to the, weight to the weight issues that we're seeing in America. And yet, if you look at the lines, you look at the trends that have happened since the 1970s and 1980s, they continue to skyrocket, and in many respects, they are starting to J-curve. What is the symptom? We are over fat. But not only that, we are just undereducated. We're not appropriately educated on how to structure our nutrition so that it functions well for us. We are not living a life of activity that creates metabolic health. We are not living a life that is causing us to thrive. We are living a life of ease and convenience. Again, don't get me wrong. I love technology and I love all of the great things that it does for us. But most of us are not using technology in a way that's going to help us 
to improve our overall health and wellness. There is a better way. There is a way for you and me to live so that we can be metabolically healthy and so that we can have more muscle and less body fat. And I can guarantee you the solution is not the pill. Now, like I said at the beginning, this is our 150th official episode that we've released. And I wanted to tell you once again, thank you, but to also look back on a few things that I've learned in the last several episodes, uh, if not 150 episodes. Now, I can't list them all here, but here are some things that have stuck out to me that have made an impact on me because not only did our guests teach me something or spark something inside of me, but I went and tested the stuff. And so what I did is I bucketed four different areas to say, here are some interesting things. And while it's not comprehensive, these are the four four buckets where certain things have been long lasting. Now in episode 148, Casey Ruff uh, introduced me to toe spacers. Toe spacers are these little things that you put on your toes that help to space your feet out and give you a better base. Now, 148 is only two episodes ago, and so I'm not very deep into this, but Casey introduced me several episodes before that to the idea of mouth taping. And I've been using mouth taping off and on now for a few years. When I go to sleep, my overall health is much better because of that tool and that technique. And I am absolutely loving this idea of using the toe spacers. I wear them when I walk around the house. It looks super funny. It's weird. But what's happening is my feet are changing. And as I go into the gym and lift, and I go into a squat or a deadlift or whatever it is, I now have better grip on the floor. And I'm able to, cre- to create and produce more force as I do all exercises. Episode 140. This is a recent conversation that I had with Hillary Scott. Now, Hillary is one of my all-time favorite artists. One of the things that stuck out the most in episode 140 was that as this amazingly accomplished artist, someone who works very hard, I was going to say talented, but, you know, talent's kind of a a bad word for artists because it, it tends to negate the work that they put in. Hillary's very accomplished because of her hard work, dedication, and maybe some initial uh, indication of talent towards it. But what I learned in talking to Hillary was her passion for health and fitness is as deep and as uh, there's a fire and there's an intensity to it that is as intense as her passion for artwork. And what I love about that is that you don't have to be a one-dimensional person. I can't tell you the number of people that I have talked to over the last several months, and frankly, the last few years, as we have continued to produce this podcast and put it out there. And most people will tell me the same thing. You have to niche down and just talk about one thing. You have to just talk about one thing. You just have to talk about this one thing. So what's your one thing? And I tell them all the same thing. No, thank you. Because I don't believe 
that an evolved man is a one-dimensional man. I don't believe that an evolved person is a one-dimensional person. And for some reason, we have this tendency to think that we only can be one way. In episode 140, hearing and seeing the extreme passion that Hillary is having for her overall health and fitness, and that it is akin to the same level of passion that she has for art, was a great reminder that there are other people out there that feel the same way. You don't have to be a one-dimensional person. You can have great passion in several areas of life. Now, for somebody like me who has multiple interests, multiple things that I read about, that I uh, get involved in, I'm good with that because that works for me. And I love this concept of not being one-dimensional. It also leans into the concept of the hero. If you want to be the hero in your own life, look at the hero's journey. All heroes throughout history start in a weak place where a guide comes along and teaches them and helps them to grow and they overcome some struggle and they overcome some obstacles and then they become more well-rounded and then at the end, the hero is the hero because they have become a multi-dimensional person. They're not one-dimensional. They're lead characters. They're not your NPCs, your non-player characters. And so episode 150 reminded me that you really don't have to be a one-dimensional person. Now, the final one in health and fitness came from Brian Sanders in episode 66. Brian has produced uh, a, a podcast for a really long time. And if you ever follow him, it's uh, Food Lies on social media. Um, it, it's pretty shocking what the government and what big business does and has done to market and promote products, uh, sometimes even telling us that they're healthy, but there's no moral compass relative to the health. It is shocking where the majority of these recommendations come from. And episode 66 with Brian really opened my eyes up and started me on a rabbit hole of studying the history of nutrition in America. Now, I had listened to uh, a book actually was a great course on Audible on the history of food in different cultures throughout time, throughout recorded time. So how did religion, how did the culture, how did the climate, how did all these things affect what people ate throughout time? That was fascinating to me. I'd already listened to that uh, a few years ago. And then when we got to episode 66 with Brian, I was shocked and amazed at the way he opened up my mind to government and food and the close tie that's there. Dig into it, you will be shocked and amazed as well. Moving on to culture and style. Culture and style is really important to me because if you don't have a great culture in your life and you're not feeding the culture of those around you, then you have no strong tribe. Style is important because there are three Vs in communication. There's visual, there's verbal, and there's voice. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, I only have two tools. I have the verbal and the voice. The verbal is what do I say, the words that I'm utilizing, and then the voice is my inflection, my timbre, my tone, the, uh, the, the volume. Those are the only two things I can get to you with right now. But if you are in any type of situation where you are talking to another human being, the visual is the thing 
that impacts the most. In fact, it's been said that 70 to 80% of our communication is in the visual. It's in the body language. And so style is something that has always been important for me because I believe that the way you dress and the way you show up shows a certain amount of respect for yourself, a certain amount of love for yourself, and then a respect and love for other people. Now, in episode 68 with Tanner Guzzi, one of the things I learned is that how we dress is truly visual communication, and it matters. So learning the skills to dress well, they are critical to expressing who we are, not just to other people, but to ourselves. One of the things that I've done over the years is I have asked myself constantly, does what I wear on a regular basis consistently represent who I am internally? I don't wear clothes to promote myself to be something that I'm not. I wear clothing to bring out the highest values of who I am. Now, Tanner's process is pretty fascinating. I'm actually going through his coaching right now with him. Uh, and he takes people through coaching that helps you to identify three different archetypes, rugged, refined, and rakish. And he talks about this in our episode. Um, but once you've identified which archetypes you most uh, consistently resonate with and, and what percentage or what scale you're resonating with, from there, from the inside out approach, you start to refine your overall perspective on style and how you dress and how you show up so that it's authentic to you. The second piece on culture and style, the final one, is really getting involved with whatever location and culture you're in when you travel can be fun and make trips more enjoyable. Now, Andrew Heffernan, who we had on episode 130, wrote an article for Experience Life that really resonated with me. He talked about multiple ideas that when you travel to different places, what can you do so you can experience the culture in a different way? And this is something that my wife and I have done often. And when we take our kids, we'll try to do the same thing. If we are in a place where it's beautiful and we go hiking through there, we're experiencing the culture of that area. Uh, we go to the beach, we go to, um, you know, walk around the town. But one of the things that really hit me with Andrew's article is he said, here are the ways that people are moving in those particular areas. So if you go to uh, Scotland, can you go to the Highlands and go to the Highland Games? Can you go uh, throw some stones around? Can you, you know, get involved in things that people in that particular area are doing? And that took what I was already doing and leveled that to a completely different level. Now, it just so happened that I read that article and then saw a post by our good friend, Irina Ivanchenko, where I reached out to her and said, I need you back on the podcast. And so in episode 128, she told the story about how the weather put, put a damper on her plans when she was in Thailand. And so instead of going out and doing some of the things that she had initially planned on doing, she decided to sign up for some Thai boxing lessons and spent part of her vacation doing Thai boxing. Now, what an amazing way to experience the culture. When you think about culture, culture is the feeling, it's the vibe, it's what do people do, it's what do they eat, how do they move, it's it's their dialect, it's all of these different pieces. And Andrew and Irina helped to open up this idea that when I travel, I want to make sure that I'm moving and experiencing the things in a way that people of that culture experience it. Now, moving from culture and style to mindset. This one's probably a bigger list for me. I, I think I've got uh, five things on this list. In episode 136 with David Robson, I was 
blown away. Now, when I read Robson's book, uh, The Expectation Effect, I was absolutely blown away. I've always been one that has been at arm's length or standoffish of certain books and certain concepts and certain theories. The Secret, all of these woo-woo type books, I, I, they just don't resonate with me. This whole idea of just create your vision board and that's what you're going to get to and uh, will it to, you know, will it to you. And it just, it, nothing made sense. I, it just, it sounds like hokey garbage to me. What was fascinating in talking to David and reading his book was that there is some science behind creating expectations for yourself. Expectations for how you believe things are going to play out. Being positive above all else can help to create better expectations in life. And we go into great detail on that episode, so I don't want to spoil it if you haven't listened to 136. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't even read his book. Go go get the book. Go uh, listen to the episode. But it was shocking, and it changed a significant perspective in my life of how I start to expect certain things to happen and how I craft my life so that I am moving into those things with certain expectations. Now, as I've gone into different areas of my life with an expectation that I was going to find a solution, I found the solution. I wasn't sitting around willing this and throwing it out into the universe that the universe will bring this to me. I literally just sat down and said, this is what I want to accomplish. These are the types of people that I need to meet in order to help me to get there. And I made that happen. And it was amazing how fast it happened. So in episode 136, it changed my overall mindset of how can I utilize the science of expectation and make sure that I'm setting myself up for success. Next, Max Valverde, episode 83. Here's a guy that I just fell in love with his content as soon as I saw it, especially when he says, let's go, baby. It's an overweight dad that decided what if I trained like a professional athlete? Could I make the Olympic team in this new sport? What I learned from Max and talking to him both before the episode, after the episode, during the episode is setting a goal that can seem so big, so massive that it, it almost feels like a burden. But it's fun. Will get you further than not setting the big goal. Now, the other thing that's really cool is not only did Max set this massive goal that felt like it could be a big burden, right? Massive amounts of time training. But he also started to create a tribe around this. His social media following has gone through the roof. He now has a podcast. He's doing so many other amazing things that all started with this basic concept of could an overweight dad train like a professional athlete and make the Olympic team? He's made some amazing progress, and I'm excited to see what happens. But this idea of a big goal to pull together a tribe to make it fun I've done the same thing in my life, and it is astounding what you can accomplish. Next one, very simple. One of my lifelong heroes has been a man by the name of Al Rounds. Al was uh, and is one of my all-time favorite artists. He's a watercolor painter. He's uh, someone who was very kind to me when I was very young. I uh, had an opportunity to go to his um, uh, to his studio, and he walked me through some of the process of how he creates. And so ever since I was a, 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 you know, budding little artist in my um, preteen to teenage years, I've always looked at Al's work and just been absolutely amazed by it. 
And so it was an honor uh, to have Al on in episode 35 and to talk to him uh, in more depth about how does he create. Creativity is critical to life. You're either living life that someone else has created for you and programmed for you, or you are creating your own life. And so I don't think that art is in and of itself its own thing. I believe that art is a creative process, that when you learn the process of creation, you can apply that to every other area of life. The one thing that stuck out to me is Al told a story and told multiple stories, but one story in particular where he knew that he wanted to get this particular scene with the sunset. And so he could see where he needed to be, but the cab driver couldn't get him there fast enough. And he jumped out of the car and ran to the top of the hill and was able to capture the scene that he was going for. What stuck out to me was this idea that when you have inspiration, when you have something that is beneficial for your life, when you have something that is a good thought, a good action, run. Don't let your circumstances keep you stuck. Run toward inspiration. In episode 18, one of our first few episodes, I was inspired by this amazing woman, Grandma Joy, and her grandson, Brad Ryan. Grandma Joy is someone who, at this point, has now been to every national park in the United States and has been on top of a few mountains. Now, prior to this, Grandma Joy had never seen a mountain, had never been to a national park, and had rarely ever been outside of the state of uh, Ohio. At her age, if you haven't listened to this, go back and listen to it. Follow Grandma Joy on social media. Look at her story. Because anybody that tells you that they're too old for something will be completely proven wrong if they listen to and watch Grandma Joy. This 70, 80-year-old woman, I can't remember how old she is now, you'll find videos of her rolling down sand dunes. You'll find videos of her hiking, doing so many different things. Now, she... I had some injuries, some issues along the way through this entire journey. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was two or three year journey of going to all the national parks and seeing everything that our great country has to offer in terms of the outdoors. But you're never too old to experience this. She overcame whatever she needed to. Now, they took a break here. They took a break there. Uh, you know, they weren't traveling and they didn't knock this out in a few weekends. This took a long period of time, but Grandma Joy didn't back down and she would just try just about everything. You are never too old to experience something new. The final one relative to mindset. And this is one that I think in the moment hit me as hard as anything. In episode 74, we had returning guest Vinny Crispino come on. And Vinny has a, a great business, very successful business called the Pain Academy. If you're not following him on social media, I would highly recommend it. Vinny and I had talked about having him back on and just talking more in depth. In fact, the first time we had him on, we brainstormed afterwards a three or four part series uh, talking pain and how do you overcome it uh, with the physical body. And so when we started the episode and I asked him a kickoff question of tell me about your most recent uh, accomplishment because he had just done a long race and he started into the story 
everything else we had written down fell by the wayside. And in this episode, Vinny tells the story of how he overcame the pain. And when he thought that he had nothing left, he was able to push himself to the next level and reach new heights. And when I asked him what changed the most, he said, I no longer felt like a little kid. New heights of maturity can happen at any age, but they tend to happen when we push ourselves, when we challenge ourselves, and when we find something that's left in the tank that we didn't expect before. And Vinny's episode created inside of me such a profound perspective and a profound change that I've never been the same since. Anytime I run into something that feels difficult, I think about that particular conversation and I ask myself, can I dig a little bit deeper and find new levels of maturity, new levels of evolution? Can I find new levels of grit, determination, whatever it is that I need in this moment? And every time I ask those questions, I find that there's always something else. And I'm able to dig deeper and I'm able to evolve further. Now, the final bucket we come down to is relationships. Relationships and tribe, I think, are important. Uh, we always talk about evolve your body, to evolve your mind, to evolve your soul, to evolve your tribe. Ultimately, the tribe, the group, the relationships that we have are critical to our overall health, happiness, and success. In episode 142, we talked to my good friend Scott about becoming an evolved parent. What's the work that you need to do? And how do you become the best so that you can dig in and be a great parent? And the best way to do that is by making sure that you dig into your issues, your problems, your challenges on an ongoing basis. There is no point where you ever talk to any leader that feels like they have just made it. If you're ever talking to a great leader, you know that the growth mindset is something that they have ingrained inside of themselves, that they're never stopping, they're, they're always learning, and they are constantly pushing forward. Parenting is leadership, and it's the same concept. It never stops. It always requires work, and constant growth starts from becoming a leader of self who then can become a leader of others. The best way to parent is to start with yourself. Finally, on relationships, episode 146, I learned that long conversations matter. You know, podcasting is a really interesting journey. And I started it for several reasons, but one of the reasons uh, is because I just love having conversations with people. And sometimes, like today, I'm just having a conversation with you. Sometimes you get the chance to listen into a conversation I have with somebody else. But regardless, I love having conversations with people. Now, you say, well, conversation with me, you don't even know me. I'm imagining you right now. You're in your car. You're on the treadmill. You're walking um, the dog. And we're talking. And as I'm saying certain things, you're thinking and you're saying things back to me and you're saying, yeah, I agree with you. No, I don't agree with you. But I love conversations and long conversations really matter. And so some time ago, I said, you know what? 
I'm going to stop putting these time constraints on the podcast of trying to get it in in about an hour. What if we just went deeper and had long conversations? So episode 146 was the longest conversation that we've had on the podcast. This first long conversation was about four hours with Ayers Olson, and it really opened up my mind to something that has stuck with me, that's sitting and just listening to another person for a really long time can open up doors to the conversation that we hadn't thought about initially. And that the deeper we go into conversation, the more we learn. And if you just hold space for another person so that they can talk and they can continue to put their information out there, that you will get deeper and you will learn more by doing that than by anything else. There's no fancy technique. There's no slick questions. It's just a matter of holding space for another person, setting the phone down, not looking at the timer, and letting the moment be what it is. So there's my list. It's not comprehensive, but it are the things that are on top of my mind as we wrap up episode 150. Again, I want to thank you, our listeners, for listening to The Evolved Man. Thanks for those of you that have been with us from the beginning, and thanks for those of you that just joined us today for the first time. We've had an amazing opportunity to get the message of what it means to evolve and what it means to become an evolved man to, I believe, we're over 90 countries at this point, and we want to continue to grow that. So do me a favor, like I said at the beginning, if you can give us a rating review and share it with your friends, that helps us the most, especially if you're giving us a rating review on Spotify or, or uh, Apple. That helps us to get and reach more people. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with you. If you allowed me to stand on the soapbox for the first, I don't know, hour plus, where we talked about this drug-based, allopathic medicine-based approach to the symptom of overfatness, overweight in America, uh, I'm grateful. If you want clarification, if you need help, reach out to me. All of my socials are linked in the show notes. My DMs are open. Feel free to email me. If you go onto the website, if you go onto the social media, I, I, I'm, everything's open and I respond as fast as I can. I would love to help you demystify the process. You see, I don't believe that the dad bod is our destiny or the mom bod is the destiny. Um, I believe that we can evolve with age and I believe that as we do so, we become better leaders in life. We become more conscious. We become more thoughtful. We become the embodiment of love, not only for self, but for others. The dad bod is not your destiny. You can create a Greek God level body and life. And I want to help you if I can. If nothing else, I'm glad you joined me today for this conversation. But I want to remind you, it does take time and consistency to evolve. But first, you have to disrupt. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. Thanks for joining me today for this episode of The Evolved Man. If you're learning from and gaining value from this podcast, please subscribe to The Evolved Man newsletter, where I can support you even more in your personal evolution. I want to help you reverse engineer your success. 
The Evolved Man newsletter is like getting a free coaching session to keep you moving forward on your path of personal success. Go to the evolvedmanpodcast.com to sign up today. If you found value in this episode, you can give us up to a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify and share it with your network. That's the best way to support the podcast so we can continue to get great guests and provide you with the best wisdom for your daily life. Until next time, keep evolving.